All right. Good morning again. So, um, when I found out that Jay was going to be out of town today, um, and uh, he's, he's um, if you, for those of you who don't know, he's uh, preaching at Max Installation Service. Um, I don't remember the name of the church. Do anybody remember the name? Standill Baptist. Stanfill? Standill. Standill. Okay, Standill Baptist. I, I must have heard that name wrong like every other time that I heard it. Um, but so Jay's preaching there today. Anyway, when I when I first uh, realized I'd be preaching today, um, you know, I realized I, I I didn't want to try to preach from Hebrews again uh, twice in the same you know from the same thing. I didn't want to repeat it, um, and I have exhausted all the I had exhausted all the standalone messages that I've already prepared. I have a, a few messages, or I had a few messages that I had prepared that I hadn't preached through yet, and so I thought, what can I do in one week? Um, or two weeks, rather, that I had to prepare, and what can I do that's standalone? Um, I have always taught through material. I've never just picked topical messages, except when we do our uh, statement of faith, and those things are all, they're not really just, they're, they're still appropriate, because we take all of what Scripture says about that one particular topic. Anyway, um, I, my mind settled on, on this, uh, the book of Philemon. Actually, I went through five, and I started preparing five of them over the last few weeks. So I'll have some more uh, next time. Um, but as I was thinking through this book of Philemon, I was thinking, you know, the, the, the topic that it addresses, the, the, the topic that addresses in the social structure is different than the topic that it addresses within the church. It's different. So, um, for those of you who aren't familiar, Philemon was a wealthy guy. Uh, he was from Colossae. Colossae, how are you supposed to say that? Um, he was one of the believers, and he actually, you can tell in the, in the book of Philemon, that he hosted the church, or one of the churches um, uh, in the, uh, Colossae. Uh, and he was wealthy enough to where he owned at least one slave, um, and this one is about uh, the, the slave named Onesimus. Um, It means profitable or useful. It may not have actually been the guy's actual name. Um, It would be a name that you would give to a slave, you know? I mean, it's the horrible concept, right? But you're like, I'm going to buy this person. I'm going to hope that they're useful to me. Um, And what's interesting when we address the topic of slavery is that we feel like we have to go talk about human slavery, right? Right? And we bring into all sorts of background and what people have experienced in their minds from history, from the various types of slavery, all the way up until the most recent form of slavery in our memory here in the United States. And so we realize that people have all these sort of feelings right away, right, when it comes to this topic. And we want to be sensitive to that. But we also don't want to miss what Paul is addressing and what God is addressing in the Bible. And so I'm going to say right now that the topic that he addresses in Philemon and what Paul wants Philemon to do speaks more to the culture of Christianity and how we are to treat each other in the body of Christ than it does to any system of slavery that's ever existed. We know, we know that human slavery is wrong. The Bible speaks to us in this in several different ways. 
But Paul doesn't address the social problem of slavery in the book of Philemon. Rather, he gets at the heart problem of unforgiveness. That's the topic he addresses. Because if he were, think about it this way too, if we only talk about human slavery, whatever form that human slavery has taken over the centuries, if we only address that, and we don't address unforgiveness, reconciliation, love, and the transformative power of the gospel, then we've missed the most important thing. The most important thing is that we be reconciled to each other through Jesus Christ. If you are not reconciled to God through Jesus Christ, and you are reconciled to other human beings, whether it's uh, by race or whether it's by financial class or any other division, you've missed the boat if you're not reconciled to God. So let's make sure that we keep that front and center. Because that's the main issue going on in Philemon, is that because Philemon has been reconciled to God, and because Onesimus has been reconciled to God through the gospel of Jesus Christ, Onesimus needed to be reconciled to Philemon, and that's why Paul is writing. Okay? So, a little bit of information. Um, Paul wrote this letter while he was in prison. He wrote this letter while he was in prison. He wrote it probably around the same time he wrote Philippians and Colossians. And we can see that Philippians was delivered, if you, I'm sorry, not Philippians, um, Colossians was delivered by Onesimus, the same guy who he's talking about here, um, and by Tychicus, if that's how you say his name. And so Tychicus delivered other letters as well, but Tychicus and Onesimus delivered Colossae. And so in a lot of commentaries, you'll see Colossians and Philemon put together. Because the idea, is, the picture is this, that Onesimus and Tychicus set out, um, and you, you kind of you get the feeling that Tychicus is there not only to be a partner and to deliver letters, but also to watch out over Onesimus. Because Onesimus is a runaway slave. And he could be in all kinds of danger. And so they go off together from where well, they leave Paul where he's in prison. Um, I would agree with most of the commentators and say that's Rome, but you could debate that. And they go together to Colossae and to um, here to Philemon's house to restore Onesimus back to um, Philemon. Not just a slave returning to the house of his master, but a brother who was lost, who was enslaved to the much more dangerous master of sin and being reconciled to a brother in Christ. And so today, before I even begin, I want you to understand that this is about restoration and forgiveness within the body of Christ, and that's the direct way we're going to apply it. And so if you have an issue right now with another brother or sister in Christ that you need to be reconciled with, I would strongly urge you to open your heart to what this letter has to say and to ask God to direct your heart and help you to forgive where you need to forgive. And if you're sitting here and you know that you do not believe in Christianity, that you have been taught about it, you know the details, but you don't know Jesus as your Lord and Savior then you have a bigger issue of reconciliation to deal with today. And I hope you're listening, and I hope you're paying attention. Let's pray.
Heavenly Father, thank you so much for your word. Thank you that you have loved us, that you loved us so much, that you called us to hear this gospel. And more than that, you called us that we would repent when we heard the gospel, that we would believe the gospel, and that you would transform us through the gospel of Jesus Christ. Lord, I know that statistically speaking, there are people here who don't know you as Lord and Savior, who don't believe in the gospel of Jesus Christ, have never trusted in Christ alone for their salvation. I also would would tend to believe that there are brothers and sisters here today who, whether they are reconciled to each other or not, they might not be reconciled with somebody who's not here. There is a lack of reconciliation or a lack of forgiveness, typically in every church. And so, God, I ask that you would deal with all of us. That if, if a person's not reconciled to you, that they would be paying attention and that you would give them grace to hear and faith to believe. God, if there are people here who are not reconciled to each other or to other Christians outside this body, I pray that you would challenge them and convict them with their unforgiveness and cause them to seek out their brother or sister and be reconciled. In any case, God, I pray that you would guard our hearts and our minds so that the next time there is some kind of a a break in a relationship within the church, that we would immediately recognize that that needs to be reconciled and forgiveness needs to happen because of who you are and what you've done. God, please be with us today as we read through this book of Philemon. Thank you so much. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so I'm going to give you just a little bit of structure here. Uh, Paul opens this letter like he does most letters with a greeting, a simple greeting of, of who he's writing to. And, uh, and then he has a section on thanksgiving and prayer. And as, as he often does, in every case he does except for Galatians, and if you know the book of Galatians, you know why he doesn't thank God for their faith, uh, because their faith is wavering horribly. Um, he praises God for the love and the faith and the fellowship that he experienced and has experienced and others have experienced through Philemon, through the guy he's writing to. Um, you don't get the sense that Philemon is the pastor of this church, but rather a host and a benefactor of the church. He talks about how faith and love have multiplied from him and how he's been a source of refreshment for all sorts of other believers, more than likely through his financial means. And then Paul talks about how personally he's drawn great joy and comfort from seeing this in Philemon's life. And toward the end, he's going to appeal to have him comfort him, Paul personally through his greeting and his um, forgiveness of, of Onesimus. And then he's going to have his main appeal and he's going to tell Philemon what he thinks um, should be his proper motivation in receiving back Onesimus when he returns. You can sort of picture Onesimus like handing this letter over, standing there next to Tychicus, hoping and praying that this reception will go well and that he can be reconciled to his brother. And then the final greetings where Paul greets by name or sends greetings by name from other people uh, that Philemon and his family would have known. So let's read the text. It's not very long. I hope you can follow along. I hope you'll follow along with me. I'm reading from the NIV. Paul, 
a prisoner of Christ Jesus, and Timothy, our brother, to Philemon, our dear friend and fellow worker, also to Aphia, our sister, and Archippus, our fellow soldier, and to the church that meets in your home. Um, most commentators believe that Aphia is his wife and that Archippus is their son. Uh, I think Archippus is also mentioned in Colossians. Um, regardless, he's another, another worker in the kingdom of God. And to the church that meets in your home. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I always thank my God as I remember you in my prayers, because I hear about your love for all his holy people and your faith in the Lord Jesus. I pray that your partnership with us in the faith may be effective in deepening your understanding of every good thing we share for the sake of Christ. Your love has given me great joy and encouragement because you, brother, have refreshed the hearts of the Lord's people. Therefore, although in Christ I could be bold and order you to do what you ought to do, yet I prefer to appeal to you on the basis of love. It is as none other than Paul, an old man, and now also a prisoner of Christ Jesus, that I appeal to you for my son Onesimus, who became my son while I was in chains. Formerly he was useless to you, but now he has become useful both to you and to me. I am sending him, who is my very heart, back to you. I would have liked to keep him with me so that he could take your place and helping me while I am in chains for the gospel. But I did not want to do anything without your consent, so that any favor you do would not seem forced, but would be voluntary. Perhaps the reason he was separated from you for a little while was that you might have him back forever, no longer as a slave, but better, better than a slave, as a dear brother. He is very dear to me, but even dearer to you, both as a fellow man and as a brother in the Lord. So if you consider me a partner, welcome him as you would welcome me. If he has done you any wrong or owes you anything, charge it to me. I, Paul, am writing this with my own hand. I will pay it back. Not to mention that you owe me your very self. I do wish, brother, that I may have some benefit from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart in Christ. Confident of your obedience, I write to you, knowing that you will do even more than I ask. And one more thing. Prepare a guest room for me because I hope to be restored to you in answer to your prayers. Epaphras, my fellow prisoner in Christ, in Christ Jesus, sends you greetings. And so do Mark and Aristarchus, Demas and Luke, my fellow workers. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Amen. So what's the big idea, right? When we're looking at something like this, it's really hard to, or at least in our minds, it's hard to separate the idea of uh, human slavery from how can the rest of us put this into practice, right? Because nobody in this room has ever owned a slave. So like, how, how, do, we, how do we think through rightly how to put this, this into practice? And certainly, there, slavery does exist in the world. And certainly, if there was a Christian reading this letter, then the first thing they could do, first thing they should do, was understand the very things that Paul is telling directly to Philemon here and act on it appropriately, right? We understand that slavery is wrong. But do we just walk away and go, well, I've never owned slaves, so I guess I'm good? Well, no. We look at the, the principles that are being addressed here. 
Now, there's probably more than I'm going to mention, but I think that for the sake of time and for the sake of um, uh, putting something into practice, uh, maybe falling in line with the Baptist line of always having three points, um, we're going to go with three things. We're going to go with, okay, I don't know how I messed up my slide here, but whatever, um, transformation, love, and fellowship. These are the three ideas we're going we're gonna to focus on. Because the gospel transforms. The gospel transforms the heart of the believer, resulting in total and radical transformation. We have three examples of this anyway within this letter. Now, of course, there's other people mentioned, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to hit the three main guys that are, that are mentioned. One, because he's the author. Um, Paul he addresses himself as a prisoner for Christ. This is the only letter out of all the 13 that he calls himself the prisoner for Christ in the opening line. Paul, most of the time, addresses his apostleship. Now, as we already remember seeing in the body of the letter, Paul has, hey, look, I'm just talking to you as an old man. I just want you to understand this from an old man's perspective, somebody who loves Onesimus. I want you to do what's right. He doesn't use his apostolic authority, even though he could. He doesn't even address himself as an apostle in the very beginning. Now, there could be a number of reasons why Paul calls himself a prisoner here. It could be to identify with the situation of Onesimus, as some of the commentators I read have said. But comes a problem because he sometimes does call himself a slave of Christ. And that would be a perfect way to identify with the situation of Onesimus. right? Um, but he doesn't. He calls himself a prisoner. He says, I'm a prisoner. And I, the reason I think that he addresses this, or at least one possible reason, is what, what do we know about Paul from the book of Acts? Paul was such a serious persecutor of the church that he hunted down Christians to put them into prison and to kill them. And now we have Paul in prison like one who he would have attacked years before. And he's happy about being in prison because of the results that it has for the gospel and for the church. And you can read his, the first chapter in Philippians and see. He's, he's happy, he's rejoicing, and he's telling other people to rejoice. Because the outcome of his time in prison is that God is glorified through the, the preaching of the gospel and the strengthening of the church. Paul's situation is completely reversed from murderer to happily martyred for the sake of Christ. Radical transformation in Paul's life. From somebody who hated Christianity to the one who wrote half the New Testament. I mean, radical transformation. Secondly, Onesimus. Now, I want to look at verse 10 through 16 a little bit more closely because this radical transformation is huge. So if you'll look with me, please, at, at verse 10. Um, I'll, go ahead and start again. I'll go ahead and start reading in verse 8. He says, Although in Christ I could be bold in order to do, uh, and order you to do what you ought to do. Makes the choice very clear to, a, to Philemon, doesn't he? Yet I prefer to appeal to you on the basis of love. It is as none other than Paul, an old man and now a prisoner of Christ Jesus, that I appeal to you for my son Onesimus who became my son while I was in chains. Formerly, he was useless to you. But now, 
he has become useful both to you and to me. Um, there's a really neat uh, kind of play on words. Remember I told you at the beginning, Onesimus means profitable or useful. And so what Paul does is he uses this little play on words here to say he used to be useless, now he's useful. He used to be the very opposite of his name, and now he is very useful, but not in the way that you were thinking of as your slave. Useful as a servant in the kingdom of heaven. That's a very different kind of usefulness. Useful in an earthly sense, whatever social structure is around it, when you're talking about an employee or whatever, useful in an earthly, earthly sense has very, very limited capacity, and it may or may not glorify God. But usefulness in the kingdom of heaven, whatever service you perform, from the most menial and overlooked to the most upfront to the most like widely reaching, service in the kingdom of God has incredible value. Whether you're the guy who cleans up in a local church like this, which is all of us, if you're part of this church, you know that. Um, or whether you're the biggest name in Christianity in any generation. Service to God has great usefulness. And that's what Paul points out here. He said he used to be useless, but now he's become very useful to you and to me. In what sense does he mean useful to him? Well, he he talks about that in in a few verses. He says that Onesimus has been serving Paul while Paul's in prison. Because being in prison today is not like being in prison in Paul's day. If you wanted to eat, you better hope you had friends who had access. You better hope you had somebody who's going to minister your needs, bring you things that you needed, because you weren't going to get that kind of care in prison. better have somebody who's willing to to go and deliver messages, because nobody's going to let you have a phone call. All sorts of things are happening in prisons, and we can see a lot of that in the Bible. Uh, When we see Paul's treatment, he's been beaten, thrown in the stocks. Um, We see Peter chained between two huge groups of people in prison. Prison was not a healthy or happy experience by any, any means. And you needed somebody who can carry messages and bring you things that you needed. And that's what Onesimus was doing. He was serving Paul in whatever capacity he had. Listen to what Paul talks about, um, about Onesimus, how he feels about him. He says, he's my very heart. He's my son. You know, Paul talks about three people, if I'm not mistaken, who he calls his son. He calls Timothy his son. He calls Titus his son. And he calls Onesimus his son. Now, Timothy and Titus, we understand, right? These guys were great big names in Christianity. Timothy got two letters from Paul. Whether he needed extra correction or extra encouragement, I'd argue for encouragement rather than correction. Um, I'd say that the correction was for the church at um, uh, Ephesus. But we see these guys, they are big, big names. And Onesimus was a slave who ran away from his master, who was a Christian, and somehow or another ended up in touch with Paul, who preaches the gospel to him, and sees him converted, and trains him, and is served by him, and becomes so dear to him that he refers to him as his own son, and his very heart. Do you see the transformation that happened in Onesimus' life? Not to mention the things that are understood by the letter. The fact that Onesimus is carrying the letter back to his former master. 
understanding that this guy could have him killed. He could have him crucified. He could have any punishment that he wanted done to him. Read, a, read an account of, a, of a, a slave owner who would torture slaves. Uh, this is in the same time period. Who would torture slaves and give absolutely no reason for it. Just for whatever her own sick ends were. And this guy had at least run away, which was a crime in the society they lived in. And according to what Paul talks about, about Paul offering to pay back any debts or anything that's owed, he may have stolen things. He may have caused any number of harm to his uh, slave owner. But Paul talks about the great love and affection that he has for this very dedicated servant of Jesus Christ. Church history tells us about a church father named Onesimus who became a pastor. I think it was in Colossae, but it might have been Ephesus. I can't remember now. Now, it may have been the same guy or it may not have just by the time structure. But according to church history, Onesimus did go on to be a great servant, to continue to be a great servant of Jesus Christ up until his death. And if it's the same guy, he was murdered. What a huge transformation in the life of a person who, you know, we don't know the beginnings. We don't know how he became a slave. Could have been through uh, military loss. It could have been, he could have been born a slave. He could have gotten himself into financial trouble and become a slave, a, a, debt, uh, a slave of debt. Any number of things could have been led to his slavery. But he encountered the gospel of Jesus Christ and became a great servant and a great uh, uh, servant of Paul and a great and faithful brother in Jesus Christ. The transformative power of the gospel. And then Paul addresses something in verse 19 and 20. He says, uh, I, Paul, am writing this with my own hand. He says, I will pay it back. Um, Paul sometimes wrote particular things in his own hand. That's because he oftentimes used someone to transcribe the letters. And so he writes this note with his own hand. He says, I'll pay it back. A personal IOU from Paul. Not to mention, he says, although he does mention it, that you owe me your very self. I always like that phrase, not to mention, because you never actually should properly use the phrase not to mention I do wish, brother, that I may have some benefit from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart in Christ. Confident of your obedience, I write to you knowing that you will do even more than I ask. But what what does Paul say there in, in verse 19? He says, not to mention that you owe me your very self. The clearest way to understand this is that Paul preached the gospel and Philemon believed and that he had life in Christ, and that he was who he was. Not only rich in this life, but rich in Christ. Because of Paul's preaching, he says, look, you owe me, Philemon. If we're talking about debts, you owe me a greater debt than Onesimus could ever owe you. Then there's love. The love of God through Jesus Christ compels and commands us to love others. Both in 1 John and, uh, chapter 4 and in uh, Romans chapter 5, both John and Paul tell us that the supreme example of God's love is Jesus Christ dying 
as a sacrifice for the sins of those who had rebelled against God. To make them right, a sacrifice of atonement, to bring them into restoration and right relationship with God, who is their rightful master. And that love is manifest in the gospel. Think about the situation, and the, 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 the similarity of situation. We're talking about a slave who had some kind of debt, whether he stole something or whether it was just from his former debts as a, as a person who had gotten into debt and couldn't get himself out, sold himself into slavery, whatever the case was for him, whatever debt there was, don't, doesn't every single person owe God a greater debt? And under the, the, the faulty and sinful structure of law at the time, one man belonged to another. How much more does God who gave us life and created all of us have a right to be master over our lives? Doesn't he have that right? Doesn't he properly own us? Don't we properly belong to him? And the love that God manifests in the gospel to his rebellious slaves, that is, humanity, compelled God to act in such a way as to reconcile those rebellious sinners to himself. The love of God then compels believers to show their love for God and others in visible ways. Much like we have Philemon here, who was at least a benefactor of the church but who showed his love in visible, tangible ways and refreshed every believer he came into contact with. And again, I would argue that he probably did this through his financial means. He used what he had to show his love for God and love for others in tangible ways. And then Paul makes his appeal for Philemon to act based on love based on God's love for Philemon, apparent in the gospel, based on Paul's love for Onesimus, based on Philemon's love for God and his desire to refresh God's people. Listen, the love of God compels every single person who has come to know him through Jesus Christ to love God and to love others. And that's what Paul's asking him to do. Now, it's unclear, and people have said, you know, what exactly is Paul asking for? There's a, there's a very clear thing that he's, at, he's asking him to accept and to welcome Onesimus. And a very clear uh, understanding that he's saying, forgive all his debts. Or pass them off to Paul if you need repayment. It's not clear whether he's saying, just forgive him and accept him back in your household, or whether he's saying, free him. I would argue for everything. But again, he just doesn't get expressed here. But what he does say is that he wants him to act from a position of love. And the reason I take my particular view on this is because God's love for his people is free and lavish and abundant. And it abounds in every possible way. And Paul encouraged the Philippians, I want your love to abound more and more and more. So I would say that Paul was asking Philemon to do 
and that Philemon did, as church history tells us he did, and acted on it and freed him and accepted him as a brother and forgave whatever debts he owed, not just material debts, but whatever personal offenses had been between them. Thirdly, fellowship. We have a fellowship with God through His Son. And we have that same fellowship with each other. Uh, earlier I talked about um, from First John, the opening of First John. And John writes, he says, you know, we're writing to you because of this fellowship that we have with God and His Son, Jesus Christ. And we're writing because we want you to experience that fellowship with us. That fellowship with God and with us. See, we belong to each other properly in the family of God by virtue of us having one head and one ruler and one master, Jesus Christ. So we belong to each other, and as Jesus said to his disciples, so you're all brothers. There's no social status within the kingdom of God. There's no, there's not even economically. Are we diverse economically? Yes, we are. But does that make a difference in the kingdom of God? No. It might make a difference on how you use uh, whatever God has given you to show tangible love to others. It may, depend, it may uh, um, determine how much you're able to show tangibly in one form or the other, but it doesn't determine your value or your, or your, uh, your worth or your position in the kingdom of God. We have fellowship one with another because God has had fellowship with us through Jesus Christ. So in verse 6, the word that he talks about here, uh, in verse 6 he says, I pray that your partnership with us in the faith, um, if you have uh, the ESV it says sharing of the faith, um, but that sharing is not like the way we use the word sharing our faith. We say sharing our faith in an evangelistic sense. But that's not what Paul is saying to um, to Philemon. He's not talking about that type of sharing. He's saying your participation in, your faith in the gospel, your joining the family of God, that fellowship. He says, he says, I pray that your fellowship with us, your participation, your partnership with us in this faith will be effective in deepening your understanding of every good thing we share in Christ. And again, this idea of deepening your understanding, what he's saying is that your knowledge will become practical, experiential knowledge. You know what's right to do, even if you haven't done it yet. And that's the way we grow in our understanding as as followers of Jesus. We take things that we know to be true from the Bible, and we put them into practice. We taste and see that the Lord is good. We take book knowledge, and we make it experiential knowledge. And so that's part of what Paul is asking uh, Philemon to do. I want you, he says, to experience the practical knowledge of putting into your life or, um, or implementing the moral truths of the Bible when dealing with his Onesimus. And then later, again in verse 17, he uses this again. And he says, look, if you consider me a partner, a fellow partaker in the gospel, a brother in Jesus Christ, one who also shares in divine fellowship with God through Jesus Christ, if you consider me a partner, 
If you consider me a brother, then extend that welcome to Onesimus. Treat him like you would treat me. You understand, this is not just welcome home, Onesimus. I'm not going to turn you over to the authorities. He's saying, accept me like a brother in Christ. Accept me like you would Paul, a person of, in the early church, great esteem. In essence, Paul does exactly what Jesus Christ does for us with God. He puts that into practice. He uses his position and his relationship with Philemon to appeal to Philemon for forgiveness for Onesimus. So how do we put this into practice? This transformative power of the gospel. This love of the gospel. This idea of fellowship within the body of Christ. I already told you. Forgiveness. We look at the gospel, it transforms people's hearts. The love of God that is poured out in our hearts through the Holy Spirit who's given to us, that has to come out of our lives in tangible ways. In observable, visible, verifiable action. Being restored to God through Jesus Christ means that we must be reconciled and restored to each other. That's why I told you at the beginning, if you have something in your heart against another believer, now is the time to go and be reconciled to your brother or your sister. You're commanded by Scripture. Forgiveness. The Bible tells us that we belong to God because He created us. In many times and in many ways. And that because we have rebelled against Him, He has every right to put us to death. Legally, at the time, Philemon could have had Onesimus put to death. Even with him returning. Even with Paul's letter. Legally, he could have done that. And God would be in no way unjust if he did the same to every one of us. Because all of us have sinned against God, who is our master, not by virtue of some unjust human law or any kind of injustice, but by virtue of the fact that he created us and that in him we live and move and have our being. We don't have existence outside of God. To rebel against God is to rebel against the author and the giver of life. And God, rather than putting us all to death, which would be a just course of action, He chose instead to show us mercy and to forgive. God put His love into action when Jesus Christ came to this earth, lived a righteous life that none of us had, and died as a sacrifice of atonement for our sins. He did what Paul offered to do for Onesimus, or on behalf of Onesimus. He paid the debt we owe. He suffered the wrath we deserve. 
And more than that, he gave us his righteousness. God put his love into practice. A tangible action of forgiveness. Even though the word forgiveness doesn't appear in this letter, it clearly is at the heart of any action that Paul desires Philemon to take. He says, if you consider me a partner, welcome him, welcome Onesimus, as you would welcome me. If he's done you any wrong or owes you anything, charge it to me. I, Paul, am writing this with my own hand. I will pay it back. Not to mention you owe me your very self. I do wish, brother, that I may have some benefit from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart in Christ. Confident of your obedience, I write to you, knowing you'll do even more than I ask. Forgiveness is at the heart of this letter. Forgiveness is at in God's heart, for us, and through us to each other. Um, I took this from John MacArthur. I really like the quote, um, and I don't want to butcher it with some bad uh, paraphrase of my own. Forgiveness is required of a believer, because forgiveness is the most godlike act a Christian can do. No act is more divine than forgiveness. And so never are we more like God than when we forgive. I can't end on John MacArthur. I get to end on God. Colossians chapter 3, Paul writes, As God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other. Forgive one another if any of you has a grievance against someone. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. If if God chose to forgive us before the world even began, way before we could ever repent, way before we could ever understand who he was, way before we could ever hear the gospel, God chose to forgive us, then certainly, certainly we can forgive any kind of offense that uh, that we have against somebody else. Certainly we can do that. We don't even have to wait for that brother or sister to come to us. We can go to them. We don't have to wait. Did God wait? No, he did not. God in his kindness leads us to repentance. Romans chapter 5, even when we were enemies of God, Christ died for the ungodly. Listen to me, if you have a grievance against a brother or sister, I don't care if they've said sorry. Go to them and let them know, look, I know we have this between us. And I don't know what's going on. I don't know if you still have something against me or whatever. But I love you and God had mercy on me in Jesus Christ and I forgive you. I don't even care if they think you're pompous. Go forgive them. Because our job as those who've been reconciled is to reconcile to each other. Now listen to me. If you do not know God through Jesus Christ, you're a runaway slave. You belong to God and you are serving yourself and you are serving sin and you're ultimately serving Satan. Repent. The price has already been paid. There's not a letter that's appealing to you There's a letter that's saying the price has already been paid. It's like you got a letter from Philemon that says, come on home because I've already forgiven your debt. That's what we have in the Bible. 
We have a letter from God that says the debt has been paid. Come home. It's a simple matter of asking God for forgiveness, of trusting in Jesus Christ, the sacrifice that's been paid. And if you know you need to make that decision, and if you are crying out right now in your heart to God, do that and know that you're going to be accepted, but then tell somebody who's a believer so that they can help you with what your life looks like now as a free man in Christ or a free woman in Christ. Okay? Let's pray, and then we're going to sing together. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for the freedom that you have accomplished in Jesus Christ.